0: Did that look like a fun week or what? My goodness. We had uh, 130 volunteers here all of last week providing meals and Bible lessons and games and activities. It was just a tremendous week for 315 or so kids. $1,600 $1,600 raised for our short term mission team as they go to Magange, Colombia later on in this week. And it was just an amazing week together. So, for those who served, let me say thank you for serving in that way. It was an awesome week. My kids were the beneficiaries, as were so many of your kids. And an event like that doesn't happen without your generosity without your time, well, without your energy. So thank you so much for, for making that a priority and um, for your part in helping VBS. We go so well last week. Up on stage with me right now are Jill Johnson, who's on the steering committee with SHIELD 616. We'll get to her momentarily, and Sergeant Derek Luke, who is one of our local Kearney Police Department officers. And uh, Derek has brought some gear up on stage as well to share with us. Uh, I've asked Derek and uh, Jill to come forward and share a need that has arisen in our community. There's an organization that's been developed called Shield 616, and I'll allow Sergeant Luke to talk about that. But um, there's a need that's arisen in our community, and it's this. Have you noticed that across our nation, officers today are underappreciated? Yeah, quite obviously. And so... Uh, we want to be the kind of church that partners with the broader community to bring blessing to the broader community and to respond to needs as they arise. And so a need has uh, arisen that has come to us, and we wanted to share it with you today. Uh, Officer Luke, well, would you mind sharing with us what SHIELD 616 is about, this gear that's up here, what it's for?
1: Sure. Thank you for letting us come up this morning. Uh, Shield six one six started in uh, Colorado Springs uh, by a Christian officer there. Uh, he worked Colorado Springs Police Department for many years. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He was involved with the church shootings uh, that they, that happened there, a few other active shooter incidents, and he, as he was responding to these, he thought, "I have a bulletproof vest similar to this one." Uh, that has a, a vest carrier in it, but these guys have rifles, and my vest doesn't do anything against rifles. They're they're handgun resistant. This, these are handgun resistant, uh, but they're like paper for a rifle. And after thinking about this, praying about this, God laid, <clears throat> excuse me, God laid on His heart a program to where He He would be able to deliver or or offer up rifle protection uh, to Colorado Springs Police Department. So what he through God's prompting and, and praying and uh, lots of different work, he ended up uh, retiring from the Colorado Springs Police Department and started a program or a, a company called Shield 616. They're a nonprofit organization and his goal is, his first goal was, I'm gonna sell these to police uh, police departments. This is a, uh, a shield, a, a rifle Um, it would go right here right on the front of us Uh, and there's also one that goes on the back it fits inside of this carrier Uh, and I'll talk about that more in a minute but what his goal was is to sell this stuff and then God said no you don't sell this stuff you give it to him you give it to him for free and then uh, he's thinking okay this stuff is expensive Um, how do I do that so God said that's not your problem I'll take care of that Uh, And as we know, uh, God works miracles in God-sized challenges. He uh, produces God-sized miracles. Um, So the outcome is, long story short, his organization, through fundraising, uh, doesn't cost the police department, the city, a penny to deliver this. This is $1,400 worth of stuff. It's actually, retail would be closer to $2,000. Uh, But the company said uh, that they buy the stuff from said, I like what you're doing. We're going to give you a pretty significant price break. Um, So, through fundraising, uh, they deliver this stuff. They've done it in 16 states. We're the first in Nebraska. Uh, It comes, SHIELD 616 names comes from Ephesians 616, which is actually embroidered on the back. It's upside down for you guys, but that way, when we go like this, we can see it. Uh, to, To give these to police departments, absolutely free, no cost involved. Uh, the other thing that, about this is they do it again in four years because these, this all has a five year shelf life, it expires. They do it again. So there's, this isn't a free gift to the police department that they have to recover from in five years. So we have a helmet, we have rifle vest, This is designed to go on over my vest, or I can take this one off quickly and put this one on in about 30 seconds. It would ride with me in my car. Uh, It's designed for active shooter, uh, active violence type scenarios. And and believe it or not, cops are weird people. You guys know that, some of you have met them. Uh, And if you know me, you know I'm weird. Uh, This is a level of confidence that we don't currently have. We cannot afford this. The police department does not budget for this. We can't budget for it. about to lose my stuff here, yeah. So it's like sending a firefighter to a fire without a hose in his his turnout gear. Um, That doesn't really make a lot of sense. So this gives us a level of confidence that we don't have. That's
0: great, yeah. So Sergeant Luke is one of a number of officers who attend our church, both from the Buffalo County Sheriff's Office and from the Kearney Police Department. I'm curious, when you first shared this gear with some of those officers, both here at the church and with the wider department, what was their response?
1: Uh, I, my anticipation was cops tend to be very non-emotional because that's what we're, we think we're supposed to be, but we bleed, we cry, we laugh, we have bad days and good days. So my thought was, this, when I showed this to my guys, my shift, uh, this is what we're gonna do, the chief has approved it, I thought they'd be like, yeah, okay, well, I was very wrong. It was like kids on Christmas morning. They were instantly, they picked this stuff up. And by the way, if you ever pick up a helmet, the first thing you're supposed to do is hit it like that. I don't know why. That's just what everybody does. And then you try it on. And sometimes they get it on backwards, but that's still okay too. Uh, but they were just all over this stuff, all over it. And they couldn't, couldn't wait to get to it. Um, they wanted to know when they get theirs. How to, how to size it, uh, what can they add to it, what can they, what's it come with? And I was truly just awestruck, and I thought, yep, thanks God, you've got this. I don't have to convince my guys or the PD, uh, or the Sheriff's Office.
0: No, that's great, thank you. Jill Johnson is on the steering committee for SHIELD 616, and Jill, this is not provided by our local government and our local dollars, so how will it be financed for these officers?
2: Good question. First of all, my husband and I uh, have great respect and appreciation for all of our local uh, law enforcement, but one way that we felt we could put into action our appreciation for them is to become involved in the SHIELD 616 project. So, unfortunately, because there is no funds uh, through the departments, that gives us a great opportunity so we are now reaching out to citizens, businesses, foundations and churches to ask for financial support for the armor vest package. Each package costs1,400 dollars, 1,400 $1, dollars. And we need a hundred packages to cover our Kearney Police Department and Buffalo County Sheriff's Department. So we are inviting everyone to take part whether you can give a fourteen hundred dollar gift or more or whether you can only give a five dollar gift we welcome all donations the easiest way to donate is by going to shield616.org shield616.org it's a very simple website you put in your information you can put in how much you want to donate. And then at the same time, you're given the opportunity to come alongside and be a prayer or encouragement supporter to an officer. And you can choose an officer. If you know someone in the Buffalo County area, Carney in Buffalo County, that you'd like to be a prayer partner with, you can choose them. And we're going to work together with our senior chaplain, Bobby Payne, who has already set up the unseen program back unseen backup program for the kpd and buffalo county sheriff's department we're going to work hand in hand with him to get you connected with the officer of your choice if you don't know someone that's okay we can connect you if you can donate great but even if you can't donate we would love to have your prayer and encouragement support so that's what we're looking for at this point
0: great there's a kiosk right outside these doors that you can go learn more immediately after the service, and all of this will go through shield616.org, not through the church. Can you share with us, just real briefly, uh, Sergeant Luke, what's, what's one way, or maybe the most two ways, that we could support emotionally and spiritually the officers that we know?
1: Uh, there's two aspects to this program, as, as you've heard. The... Financial support is one side. That's God's challenge all by himself. That is, it's neat to see him work. The thing we really need as officers though is the spiritual support. Uh, We're spiritually attacked, we're emotionally attacked, uh, physically as well, obviously, but uh, you don't typically bring the physical stuff home. You bring the spiritual and you bring the the emotional stuff home. And the impact that that has on our families, uh, whether we know it or not, is definitely uh, significant. Uh, it's, it's difficult in any job to leave your your baggage at the door when you walk in. Uh, but we need the, some guys honestly don't even know they need the spiritual support. But, but we do, I promise you. Um, the prayers are coveted. There is, out of all 56 police, or 55, 56 police officers in Kearney, I'm not aware of a single one of them that does not accept the unseen backup prayer support. It's a, sign, a deal we have to sign. It's actually something that we really enjoy. Uh, we tease each other about it because that's what we do. Uh, but it's actually pretty good, and, and everybody signs up for it. It's, it's a blessing.
0: Wonderful. Can we pray for you right now? Would sure. that be all right? Would you join me in praying for our local officers? Father in heaven, how we thank you for the wonderful officers we have in this church and in our broader community. We're so thankful for all of our Kearney Police Department and Buffalo County Sheriff's and the state troopers that we have in this church and in the broader community. We pray that you would bless each and every one. We ask that you would strengthen and protect each one every day as they seek to serve and protect our community both day and night. We also ask, Lord, that you would protect their families as their families feel vulnerable probably each time they go to work. So Father, would you give them increasing peace and we do pray for a wonderful outpouring of support through SHIELD 616 and the Unseen Backup Program of prayer support and financial support for this great cause, that we would really come alongside these officers who are risking themselves day in and day out to support us and protect our communities. May they know that Carney E. Free Church and the community at large are behind them, that we support them, that we pray for them, that we love them as they serve. We give you glory and thanks for each and every one of these brave men and women. In Jesus' name we ask together. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's a little bit different than what we normally do on a Sunday morning, but uh, again, as I noted already, we want to be the kind of church that rallies around our community and identifies needs in a variety of different ways and seeks to partner where we can. So grateful, though, this morning to have uh, Brian and Lori Klein back from their sabbatical. I was with them last weekend as I had the great honor of uh, officiating their daughter's wedding as they had a wedding in Kansas City. Kirsten married Raul and I got the great honor to officiate that and be with Brian and Lori. And now they're back with us today and we are so grateful to have them back after their sabbatical. Thank you for your prayers for them over the past couple months and thank you Father, for your prayers for them and for the Magangay Columbia mission team as they head out to Magangay later on this week. Um, great to be back with you after being gone last weekend. I wonder if you'd open with me in your Bible to the book of Esther. And you'll find the book of Esther. Basically, if you go dead center into your Bible, you find the book of Psalms. And then if you go from there to the left, you'll find Job. And left from there, you'll find Esther. If you go to Ezra or Nehemiah, you've gone a little bit too far. You turn back to the right, and you'll find the book of Esther, which is a wonderful story which we'll be examining this morning. Did you know that there is a book in the Bible that God's name is not even mentioned? One young man does. In ten chapters in the book of Esther, the name of the Lord doesn't even get a shout-out. What's up with that? Nor do words like prayer or worship, or scripture, or any other spiritual-sounding words. Why is that? It's very interesting. The book of Esther is a different kind of book in which you do not see the name of God mentioned, but I tell you what, you would be blind not to see him underneath the pages of scripture and behind the curtains in this book. God does some of his very best work behind the curtains. I find, indeed, in the church, some of the very best work that happens in the church happens behind the scenes, behind the curtains, if you will. We have our curtains opened up here this morning. If you could look back here, I'm not sure if you can see this far, but we have all kinds of stuff from speakers to very fun power tools to WD-40 and some Boxes of speakers that Matt Demaret does not want me to touch and all kinds of other things back there behind the curtains where work is being done. Isn't it the case that in your job, some of the best work happens behind the scenes? Some of the best stuff that happens in the church is done back there in the sound booth or in the control room where you cannot see what is happening. And that's how we have it in the book of Esther. You have God working behind the scenes, and he's a little bit less obvious than he is in other places in the scriptures. I, for one, am really, really grateful for that because I don't hear from God the way the prophets of the Old Testament, whom we've been studying, tend to hear from God. Is there anyone else in this room who does? Okay, maybe you do hear from God you hear his audible voice I think that's possible I certainly think that's possible but I don't hear from God the way the prophets of the Old Testament do I have never got a burning bush experience the way Moses did anyone else? none of us have and only the disciples of Jesus got to walk with Jesus and be personally ministered to by him for their three years of walking together on earth Rather, what we experience more often is a little bit more like the book of Esther, isn't it? That God is at work behind the curtains in our lives, weaving together a tapestry, and we can see some of his work if we are willing to look for it. I'd encourage you to read the book of Esther in full this week, it is high and beautiful drama. It's been the subject of at least full length, of at least three full-length motion pictures, including these by the names of the Book of Esther," "One Night with the King," and my personal favorite, Veggie Tales: The Girl Who Became Queen." It's a great story. I mean, it's just so full of incredible drama. And surprises and turns. And what I'd like to do here, though, this morning is basically just tell you the story of this wonderful young lady named Esther and her uncle Mordecai and these two villains that we'll meet along the way. And as we tell the story, hopefully draw out a few principles from God's story for our story. Is that okay? The year is 480 B.C. 480 BC. And for the very first time, some of the Israelites are allowed to leave their place of exile and begin to return to their homeland of Jerusalem. They've been longing for this, some of them for 200 years. For at least the last 70 years, they've all been in exile. Judah to the south, of course, you remember, went into exile under Babylon. And then after Babylon, they're in exile under Persia. And then even before that, Israel, or Ephraim to the north, has been in exile for another hundred years before that. So they've all been looking forward to this long-awaited prophesied day when they'd be able to return home from exile to go be in their homeland and begin to rebuild the temple. We'll talk about that a bit more next week as we get into Nehemiah and Ezra and that experience of rebuilding the temple. But for right now, we encounter Esther and Mordecai and others who are still living in this exile within the Persian Empire that extended during this day from India to the east all the way over to Ethiopia and Sudan to the west. 127 provinces. One of the largest kingdoms in history. And Esther finds herself in the center of the Persian kingdom, the capital city named Susa, which would be in modern day Iran. In the opening chapters, King Xerxes of Persia holds 180 days of banquet feasts with great drinking and all kinds of applause bringing known leaders from around the world to the capital city of Susa so he could show off all of his possessions. And for 180 days, they're having a nonstop, half-year party. Self-indulgent, anyone? That's King Xerxes. In the middle of his self-indulgence, he wants to show off his beautiful wife, the great queen, Vashti. And he says to Vashti, come and show yourself and your beauty, Before all of these nobles who have come to us, show them your beauty. And she does what we hope all of our daughters would do. She says to the king, no way, I'm way more than my body. And she says no thanks to King Xerxes. For that, unfortunately for Vashti, she's banished and he divorces her. And then he issues a decree in which he says, let every man... Be the master of his wife. Ooh, don't do that. That's what he does. He says, let every man be the master of his wife. He's a petty man. And as the story continues, you see he's such a weak and competent man that it's very easy to wrap him around your finger. Or in this case, around Esther's finger. As the story continues, she is sure to do that. And so the whole thing is like a Jerry Springer episode gone bad. Okay, you have divorce and banishment, but because she won't participate in the beauty pageant, and then the king is left without a wife, and so he says, well, let's hold the very first Miss Persia beauty pageant. And let's bring the best of the best of the virgins from 127 states and parade them before me one by one, and I will choose which one I want. And it's there that we meet Queen Esther in our story. Before she was a queen, she was an orphan. Esther chapter 2, verse 5. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehokeen, king of Judah. So he would have been taken captive by the Babylonians probably some 65 years ago. Now he's probably 75, 70, 75, 80 years old. He's an older man at this point. Mordecai had a cousin who was more of a niece named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. So Esther is an orphan. And she doesn't have a father and mother, but she does have what the Hebrews called a kinsman redeemer. And there is this beautiful Old Testament law. Have you heard of a kinsman redeemer? Raise your hand if you heard of that. Beautiful Old Testament law called a kinsman redeemer That if a woman was out the protection of a husband because that husband died, or a young lady was out protection of mother and father because she became an orphan, then the next of kin, it was not merely their responsibility, it was their duty. It was law to take that young girl into their home and provide for them. Isn't that cool? This is the way it was in ancient Israel. And So Mordecai steps up to the plate and he says, yeah, I'll be kinsman redeemer to my niece my young cousin, Hadassah, who becomes Esther. And he serves in this way, this redeemer for her. The next thing, though, that we see in the story is Esther's paraded by before King Xerxes along with many, many other contestants. And uh, you come to verse 17. After she's been paraded by before King Xerxes with other contestants, she's kind of selected. She's like part of the top five or top 10. I don't know how many it was. But she was in the top five or ten to receive 12 months of beauty treatments. No charge to you, Esther. 12 months of beauty treatments so that you could appear with even more beauty before the king. Verse 17, now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Esther wins the big beauty contest. Now remember, if she comes into the annals of power here in Persia, she was a second-class citizen. She's been able to hide her ethnicity from King Xerxes and from Haman, this great prince who enters into the story shortly. She's able to hide her ethnicity, but as a Jewish woman, she would have been a second-class citizen within Persia. By comparison, she would have been like Rosa Parks in 1950s Alabama. Or she would have been like a Jewish woman at the eve of World War II Germany. Only in this case, she was able to hide her ethnicity because her race, her ethnicity was so close to her Persian neighbors. So she hides that from Xerxes and the others in the annals of power. That's important as the story unfolds. Well soon Persia's leaders are bowing down to King Xerxes and his vice president, a man by the name of of Haman. And they're all bowing down to them and there's a decree that is issued that whenever they come through the streets, every man and woman is supposed to prostrate themselves before Haman or Xerxes. And they all do, with the exception of one man named Mordecai, who understands that there's a very big difference between the laws of man and the laws of God. And he says, I am going to follow the laws of God, principally the first and the most important commandment, that there is one God and you shall have no other God before him. And I will not prostrate myself before Haman or Xerxes no matter what they tell me to do. And so he practices civil disobedience when day after day, chapter three, verse four, tells us Mordecai refuses to comply. Well, this really gets Haman's goat. This really ticks him off. And Haman as it turns out, is this raging anti-Semite. And his response is, kill all the Jews. Sadly, it's a response that's been repeated many times throughout history. He proposes a final solution, as it were, for the Jews. If you're not going to bow down, then we're going to kill you because you are a rebel. And he gets King Xerxes to sign his edict and to formalize it by stamping the edict with the king's signet ring. And so this plot against the Jews is institutionalized. Well, Mordecai goes to Esther and he says, Esther, you are queen. You need to step up and go before the king and plead on behalf of your people. And she says, well, I'm not allowed to do that. Everyone knows that no one is allowed to go in front of the king unless they are summoned by the king. Not even the queen can go in front of the king unless she is personally summoned by the king. To which Mordecai replies in chapter 4 and verse 12. When Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, I'm scared, I can't do that, I haven't been summoned. He sent back this answer to Esther Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. You won't. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But if you, but you and your family and your father's family will perish. So he's telling. Esther there, that if you choose to stay silent, God is still at work behind the curtains, and God will bring relief to the Jews because he's gonna finish what he promised way back to Abraham, and then through David. He's gonna finish what what he started, what with the Jewish people. He's gonna bring them back to their homeland. But if you don't step up right here, Esther, you may not make it you yourself. So will you step up? He believes in God working behind the curtains here. And who knows, he says in the most famous line in the book, who knows, Esther, but that you have come to your royal position, that God has borne you into this world, that God has created you for this purpose alone, that you would stand before the king at such a time as this. And that you, Esther, You would step into your God-given destiny and you would walk through the fear and you would walk with courage into the king and you would defend your family and defend your people and you would stand up and perhaps God would use you to bring liberty to Father Abraham and his people that we would return to our homeland once again and thanks be to God, she said yes. You see, God's ultimate plans, my friends, God's ultimate plans will succeed. Do you believe that? God's ultimate plans for the world, God's ultimate plans for Israel, in this case, to bring them back to their homeland, they were going to succeed with Esther or without her. The question that Mordecai brings to Esther, and the question that I believe God would bring to each and every one of us is this, do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be a part of God's great plans for the world. And when you do, when you choose to say yes, that of course will require extraordinary courage. Esther, do you wanna be a part of this? She says yes into this bigger vision, which was far holier and far grander than she could've possibly imagined, and she steps into her destiny here in verse 15 when she responds, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together, all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I fail, I fail. If I perish, I perish. But I'm gonna put myself out there, and I'm gonna stand with courage. And Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. She said, yes. She said, yes. The takeaway at this point from Esther's story for us is very simple. Behind the curtains of our lives, God is still rewarding the courageous. God continues to reward you and me when we choose to act with courage for whatever it is he brings before us. That was true back then and it's true still today. Courage demands that when it's your time to step up, you stop and the very first thing that you do is you do what Esther did and that's pray. When it's time for courage, it's time for prayer. And the word prayer is not even noted here, but the word fasting is noted here two different times. We're going to fast together, and across the Hebrew scriptures and across the Christian scriptures, every single time you see the word fasting, it is always accompanied by prayer. So Esther challenges his, her people, would you please fast and pray with me for, for these next three days, because guess what? I don't have it in myself. And I need courage to appear before the king. And he very well may banish me or kill me for going against the law. And so I'm asking for courage from God when I do not have it in myself. Fasting is just this beautiful, ancient Christian discipline that's become extraordinary to people, but it really was never meant to be extraordinary. It was meant to be normal. Fasting is this very normal discipline that is intended to be this. All different kinds of things can grab my attention away from God. The comforts of life can easily take my attention away from God. And listen, I like a good dinner as much as the next man, okay? But when we fast from something that normally gives us comfort, Then all of a sudden we can increase our focus, increase our attention on God, increase our hunger for the living God, and wait for him to act in a way that no one else can. Trust in him to act in a way that no one else can. Focus our prayer energies on him. Beg of him to intercede. And when a group of people come together and fast together asking God to intercede, it's like you're collectively doing work for what God wants done in the world. So she has this great need, and she falls on her knees, praying and fasting, and the people of Israel join her in that as she prepares to go before the king. I have a need in my life right now. I've gone through a challenging season. And so I had to make the decision that I don't really want to make to refocus myself on God through fasting just recently Again, I like a good dinner as much as the next guy. I don't want to fast. But it's just amazing how refocusing my attention on him has been just what I have needed to receive my comfort from him as opposed to even receiving my comfort from food. Do you see? And it's really just incredible. The more we pray, the more we see answered prayers. Whoa! Amazing. Just as James said, you do not have because you do not really ask God. And when you ask, you often ask with impure motives that you can spend it on your own wants, James says. So God, clarify my motives. Give me focus. Give me vision to give myself more fully to you. Would you even give me courage? And that's exactly what Esther finds here. That as she fasts and prays, she has new courage in which she says, if I fail, I fail. If I perish, I perish. What can man, what can women ultimately do to me? I stand before the Holy One alone. Anyone else in this room wanna have that kind of courage? Come on, raise your hand if you're with me. Anyone with me here? We wanna have that kind of courage so bad, but we don't have it on our own. Now courage is not having no fears. That's a, a common mistake. Many people think that those who have courage, like the police officers that we just profiled this morning, they have no fears baloney everyone has fears we all do some of us are really really good at hiding it but we all have fears courage is this it's seeing your fears and walking right through them say that with me it's seeing your fears and walking right through them because you know God is with you it's seeing your fears And walking right through them as you are praying, as you are being emboldened by God himself. And walking right through them because you know he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He is by your side. God has a purpose for your life and mine. And it's better and it's bigger and it's holier than we tend to imagine. The only question is, are we willing to step into the destiny that God might have for us? And whatever destiny God has for you today will require courage because it's better than you think of. Some of you are new mothers and fathers. Well, hello, that's gonna take some courage. To be a really good mother or father is gonna take some courage. Some of you are husbands and wives. It takes a lot of courage to forgive in marriage. We have teachers in this room. It takes courage to go before fourth grade boys. (laughs) we have police officers in here who serve and protect. We have businessmen and businesswomen. We have farmers. One of the things that I've learned, it's been such a great learning for me over the past three years that I've been here, is from the farmers in this room, how much faith and how much courage they have to do their job day in and day out. It's a step of faith every day for them. Courage is very closely related to faith. Some of you felt like God was tapping you on the shoulder as Pastor Randy gave that beautiful message last week on the book of Jonah. And you know that God is tapping you on the shoulder saying there's someone in your life that he is inviting you to share Christ with. That's going to require courage when you do it. It's going to be really easy to find a way to excuse yourself from that task. But to know that God is tapping you on the shoulder to go do something great for his cause always takes courage. Some of you have been sitting on the sideline in this church for years and years. And perhaps God is tapping you on the shoulder as you look at this little tear off portion, which I will demonstrate for you right now, on the edge of your handout, that perhaps today is the day you would fill this out and you'd say yes, I will choose to be involved in the church that feeds me. Some of you need courage to come out of isolation and into community. Do you need courage if you get involved with single moms or single dads' ministry? Do you need courage if you go to visit the jail? Do you need courage if you choose any ministry that you realize I'm not quite enough in myself? God will reward you when you take the step out in faith and courageously follow him. Listen, when it comes to courage, I think think Max Licato said it best. When it comes to courage, Christians have the corner on the market because we know where we're headed after we die, amen? And we know who's going to meet us at the grave. So once again, what can any man or woman do to you? We have courage because we know Jesus is going to embrace us. Behind the scenes, God is still rewarding courage. And Esther goes on to tell us that behind the scenes, God is still humbling the proud. Behind the scenes, God is still humbling the proud. So as the story goes on, Haman, the anti-Semite, issues this official decree marked by the king's signet ring, which gives permissions to Persia's 127 provinces, all the people in all these provinces, on one specific day to kill all of the Jews. They're told that on one day you have permission, and Haman literally throws these dice on a calendar to determine the day, and the day lands on Adair 13, on the Persian calendar. On that specific day, All Persians will have free liberty to kill any Jews that they see. And the incentive for them to do so will be this if you kill them, you get to take all their stuff. Legalized murder and legalized looting. For a single day, this was Haman's plot to again exterminate the Jews. And why did he do that? It's because his pride was offended by a man named Mordecai who refused to prostrate himself. That's why. Isn't it amazing the things that we will give up for our pride? (laughs) Isn't it just amazing? Like, I mean, this guy engages in a genocide attempt because his pride was offended. People will give up their marriages. Anyone here? It's quiet in here. People will give up their marriages because their pride was offended. People will go to jail because they couldn't let something go when their pride was offended. People leave the church and go to another church. I'm not talking about this church. I'm sure it wouldn't happen here. Because some pastor, not this pastor, offended their pride, right? Right? I mean, it happens all the time. It's amazing how much people will give up just because their pride was offended. But here is something that we can count on every day of the week God exalts the humble, God will reward the humble, and God opposes the proud. You can count on it every day. I I mean, the book of Esther is a story of a bunch of reversals. Esther begins as this meekly orphan, and she is exalted to queen. Mordecai begins as an old man who doesn't know if he'll ever be able to return to his homeland. And he is paraded in honor throughout the streets of Susa. And the vice president, Haman, thinks he knows just what he's gonna do and he is so full of himself and little does he know there's a trap door right underneath his feet and he's just about to fall through it. The whole story hinges on chapter six which becomes the climax for the story in which Esther and Mordecai throw this huge party for King Xerxes and Haman. And uh, just before that, Xerxes is reminded as he's having the book of annals of his reign read to him so he can feel better about himself. And as the book of annals is being read to him, he is reminded by these attendants that there's a man named Mordecai who previously saved his life when there was an assassination plot on his life. And he said, whoa, I forgot about Mordecai. And so Esther brings that to Xerxes' attention as she throws this huge party. And he says, oh, I need to honor Mordecai. And she says, you know, you do. And it's interesting. There's a man in your palace who doesn't want to honor Mordecai. There's a man in your palace who wants to kill Mordecai, the one who saved the king. You should probably do something about that, King Xerxes. And in this moment, she wraps him around around her finger. And he says, Yes, we should kill that man. And Esther says, Well, guess what? We have a 75 foot pole outside that a man named Haman has built for Mordecai, and we can just go ahead and publicly kill him there. Poetic justice, anyone? This is a consistent word from the scriptures God opposes the proud. We love our pride. But God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble each and every time. And so, Father, would you please make us, this is, what, this is our prayer, Father, would you please make us like Jesus, the humble one, who sought not to be served, that he would be exalted, but humbled himself. Make us like Jesus who was the humble one who did not look out for his own interests but looked out for the interests of others. Make us humble like Jesus as we go on Facebook. Please, Jesus. Make us humble like Jesus as we get into family disputes. Please, Jesus, make us humble. Make us humble like Jesus as we go to work Monday through Friday and we see those coworkers that we really do not like. Please, Jesus, make us humble that you would exalt us in proper time. Because it is the truth of the scriptures that behind the curtains, God consistently opposes the proud. Pride comes, as Haman found out, before the fall. And finally, behind the curtains, we learn from Esther that God is still working. Here's the good news. God is still working through imperfect people like you and me. Esther and Mordecai were very, very imperfect, morally flawed people. They were two people of great courage. They were not always two people characterized by upright biblical living. I can't go deep into all this with the time that we have remaining though this morning, but Esther uses her beauty to seduce the king two times along with Mordecai's help. Not exactly the biblical standard, okay? They throw a huge party with way too much drinking, And they get King Xerxes drunk so they can convince him to overturn Haman and come to their idea. Were they shrewd? Absolutely. Was that morally upright? Not so much. They see this pole that Haman has built for Mordecai. They find out a way to use their shrewdness to use it on their enemy. Again, it's shrewd, but it's a far cry from Jesus' ethic of loving one's enemies. They are not the perfect example of morally upright living, but they stand before a perfect God who uses them as they are. And I pray that this is good news for you as you leave here, though, this morning that whatever moral imperfections you have to this point in your life, God ain't done with you yet. God is still not done with you yet. I'm not just talking about your past. And the things that you failed on before you became a Christian. I'm talking about your present. And the things that you failed on since you become a Christian. I sometimes do this spiritual discipline in which I'll literally look at myself in the mirror above before I go to bed. Or I'll sit by my bedside. And I'll examine my life from a single day. And I'll ask in the words of Psalm 139... Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. And my friends, sometimes I am horrified by what I see. In the ways that I have failed the Lord, in the ways that I have failed others, in thought, word, and deed, and yet I look at someone like Mordecai and I look at someone like Esther who were far from perfect, and I'm reminded that God is willing to use Lumpy, broken, clay vessels like us. Can you believe it? Like us. To accomplish what he wants done in this world. Behind the curtains, God was still using a seducer named Esther. He still used an adulterer named David. He still used a murderer named Moses. He still used a prideful man named Peter and a stubborn, doubtful man named Thomas. And he'll still use you and me to accomplish what he wants done in your world. The only question is, will you say yes? Will you say yes? So, Father, we choose to say yes to you. We choose to say yes to you and not to any other man or woman. We are so grateful for the courageous, faith-inspired example of a young orphan girl named Esther. We're so thankful, Lord, for the courageous, faith-inspired example of an old man close to death by the name of Mordecai. And we're so thankful, Lord, that in their example, you promise to continue to use imperfect people like these friends in this room and like each and every one of us who are on stage this morning. We're all in this boat. Me too. We declare in this room that there are no perfect people. But we declare at the same time in this room that there is a perfect God who has given himself for imperfect people on the cross to bring us back to him and it begins with simple trust and a courageous step out into the unknown in which we say yes God I want to be used by you yes God I want to be a part of what you want to do in the world yes Lord I want to be part of what you want to do in my family yes Lord I want to be a part of what you want to do in my community I wonder if there's anyone with me this morning that wants to be more a part of what God is wanting to do in our community. If you're there this morning, you want to be more a part of what God wants to do in our community, we just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. There's no one looking at you but me. Thank you for the dozens, perhaps even hundreds of hands raised in this room. We want to be more a part of what you want to do here, God. Help us to take a step out, encourage, to say yes to God and drop the fear men and women. Oh, we bless you, Lord, for the beautiful examples that we've seen here in the scriptures. We invite you now to do it again, do it again, do it in our lives. Use even us, lumpy clay vessels, for your glory, for your honor, that the world may know that Jesus Christ is the one true God, in whose name we pray.